Hello, friends. Thank you, as always, for tuning into this podcast. If this is your first time here, thank you for being here. I'm so grateful for your attention and your presence. The conversation today is with my buddy, Sevi Mangrum, and he is a stress relief coach. We go all into his coaching programs, his life practices, his own life story, and how he's learned to embody and and implement these tools through his own experiences. Um, We get into trauma, uh, manifesting your dreams, uh, psychedelic ceremonies. It is an all-around very insightful conversation just about the different things that play into our ability to create the life that we want to create and kind of the blockages that we need to overcome in order to do that. Overall, I am so excited for you to listen to this. I think it's so practical and there are so many takeaways. Um, If you would like to show support for this podcast, I would love that and I would love you even if you don't. Um, But you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or simply just sharing it with friends, family, on your socials, really whatever you feel called to. So thanks again for your presence. I hope you have an amazing time listening to this. And thanks for being you. You were just giving me a, a kind of a rundown uh, of what you do uh, for yourself in uh, in everyday life and business, and how you are able to take uh, the the tools that you've learned um, and create a container for people to learn and adopt those as well. So why don't you give people uh, that that short rundown that you gave me? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, after uh, many, many, many years of <clears throat> diving deep into my own personal health and wellness journey, um, it probably started really truly intentionally um, at the age of eight, um, seeing my first therapist uh, all the way up until present day. Uh, I've been really uh, intrigued at the uh, potential and possibilities that humans are capable of, especially amidst uh, the different traumas and stresses and pains and hardships that individuals go through. Uh, So it's really been a a beautiful journey, uh, you know, to learn as much about myself through different modalities. And then therefore, as I've grown and evolved and healed a lot, I've used the things that have really resonated for me and been staples for me in uh, in my practice and into a, a system that I developed called the more more system m o r e and uh, that system is developed um, on three pillars uh, the first being the m which is movement so <clears throat> movement pillar is all about 
paying attention to the two different ways and realms in which we can move our bodies. Uh, one of which is outcome oriented movement, right? So it's moving the body for the sake of attaining a certain goal, right? So it might be uh, running a certain amount of miles every day in preparation to uh, run a marathon at a certain time, right? That would be an outcome oriented behavior or habit in relation to movement, right? Running, you know, six miles a day. Um, you also, you know, might have the desired outcome of having a six pack. And so, for the behaviors and habits, you you know will do a lot of metabolic work and work your you know core and abdominal muscles and things of that nature. Right, so they're all important things to do, uh, but they only touch on a very small point uh, of emphasis when it comes to movement. So then, on the other side of that is process-oriented movement. And that is movement that we do for the sake of movement. Right, there's no specific outcome. It's just about moving your body to just feel yourself. And right? so that might look like going for a long walk with your significant other. That might be taking the kids out for a bike ride. That might be going for a surf session with the homies. That might be uh, going out with the crew and going dancing, right? So you're moving your body, but you're not doing it to, you know, look at your whoop watch and measure how many calories you burned, right? There's no data, there's no statistic, there's no self-quantification that will justify and make you feel any better about that because it's not about the outcome. It's about the experience itself, right? Feeling yourself, right? Feeling aware of your body, uh, being aware of, you know, nature if you're out, you know, hiking or swimming in the ocean. Um, so those are the two realms of the movement pillar. And then we have the O, which is optimization which also has two realms, uh, the first of which being uh, tangible strategies to optimize your human experience. And that would be things like nutrition and supplementation, right? Because you can tangibly grab an apple and take a bite out of it, and that can support your body by way of giving you vitamin A and vitamin C, you know, if and that, of, of course, is if your body assimilates to that, you know, a apple might be medicine for one person, it might be poison for someone that's allergic to it. So it's another important thing is stripping away dogmas and ideologies when it comes to um, nutrition. You know, a lot of people like to jump on the, the keto horse or the uh, paleo bandwagon or this, that, and the other, but their body might not be able to break down and absorb the foods that are associated with that diet. So even though your best friend lost a bunch of weight or got ripped on, you know, uh, whatever diet doesn't mean that you're going to as well. So that's a big thing I coach within the tangible realm of the optimization pillar. And then when we flip that, you have the intangible or non-physical. And that's about what are the things that you're absorbing that maybe you, you know, they're, they're physical things, but not in the same way that you would, you know, eat an, you know, eat a you know, piece of steak or you'd take a B12 supplement to support, you know, your, your mood and this, that, and the other. So that would look like things like what are the conversations that you're having on a day to day and do they support or not support your dream? Right. So people don't really think about that. They don't really think about, wow, I don't have a boundary with this person that I'm talking to every day and they're constantly complaining about something that I truly cannot help support them in. Right. That for you is not supportive of your dream. So that's something that you need to take a look at in terms of the intangible elements of optimization. So you need to think about how are you spending your time and energy 
either setting up or not setting up boundaries with communications with people that are either encouraging you or not in your dreams, right? So that would be just one small example of a intangible behavior or habit to optimize your experience. Another example would that would be is the sense of smell, right? So a lot of people are not purposefully and intentionally taking in things to their olfactory sense to support them in their cognitive function, in their um, you know, physical function, right? You can smell certain essential oils that can help you with your mental performance. You can smell certain essential oils that will give you a little bit of a, a physical, you know, a, a bit of energy, right? But a lot of people are not doing that. You know, oftentimes people are, you know, spraying their home with a lot of different chemicals. And so then they're smelling through their nose and absorbing through their skin different chemicals that are actually affecting their endocrine system, which has a big effect on the hormonal system, which really, really like just gunks up the whole, you know, ability to, you know, lose weight, to uh, manage stress, you know, all these things. So we have to think about all these little things that generally go over our heads or we don't consider, right? So that would be another example of an intangible habit and behavior in relation to the optimization pillar. So then the third one is, the R, which is recovery, which also has two realms of existence. So we have active recovery and we have passive recovery. So active recovery, an example of that would be a proprietary practice that I've developed that melds a few different modalities from dance to Tai Chi to Qigong, right? So it's all built upon the pillars of movements, breath and connection. Right? And the reason why this is a active recovery strategy is because you're actively moving through this practice to bring recovery to the joints, right, to the soft tissue. And it also helps you recover your nervous system by way of the breath. Right? So it's an inhale in through the nose and then an effortless exhale through the mouth. And that specific breathing pattern helps you get into parasympathetic or rest and digest state, which is really important because most of the things that we do put us in sympathetic. Drinking coffee, sympathetic state. Driving on the highway, sympathetic state. Thinking about having a deadline that you have to have something submitted by, sympathetic state. Getting in a fight with your girlfriend or boyfriend, sympathetic state, right? Shit, you know, uh, you know, yelling to someone down the street that you know they they dropped their bag, sympathetic state. Like everything that we do is generally sympathetic state. So. This practice called working is a way to go inwards to regulate and bring you into that rest and digest state. So that's just one example of many for active recovery. And then when you flip the script, you have passive recovery. So that's when the recovery is being done to you, right? And one of those examples, which is the most prominent form of passive recovery, which most people don't do well at all, is sleep, right? You don't do sleep, sleep does you, right? Because what happens in the body is just self-fulfilling, right? You don't have to like go and go, all right, I'm gonna like push this and turn this part of my body and do this breath. It's like, no, you just fall asleep and then your body does what it does while it rests. Now there are certain things that you can do from an active standpoint to help optimize your passive recovery by way of sleep, but generally sleep is just something that happens on its own. 
you know, and the, you know, different fluids that go through the brain and the different fluids that go through the joints just happen by way of going through your, you know, full sleep cycles. So that's one form of passive recovery, which is mostly in relation to your physical and your mental body, but it also affects your emotions as well, right? If you get a shitty night's sleep, you likely are going to be a little bit more, right, up and down with your emotions. So that would be kind of hitting on those realms. And then you could look at another passive recovery strategy that is for all physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, but really deeply hits on the spiritual realm. And that is the intentional ceremonial use of entheogens, plant medicines, or psychedelics, right? Because the medicine does the work on you, right? You're not going into the cosmos purposefully and going and figuring out the things that you need to. The medicine is an ally to help be that vehicle that gets you to those places to bring into awareness on the things that need to be looked at, right? So that's something that's a little more taboo and, you know, it, it takes a certain person to step into that space, but if done intentionally, it can be one of the most healing modalities of recovery that anyone can possibly do. And I've, I myself has, have walked that path deeply uh, and have gotten so much value from that passive recovery strategy. So just a few forms of, uh, uh, of passive recovery. So when you implement movement optimization and recovery, you're stripped away of stress, right? And stress is the number one killer, right? Stress causes us to eat foods that are not supportive of our dream. Stress causes our joints to, you know, potentially break or be damaged, right? Stress causes, uh, you know, edginess and agitation so that we say something nasty to someone that we love and then therefore could end up being a, you know, cascade of issues that leads to who knows what. So when we don't have as much stress, we have the thing that we're all looking for, and that is the E, which is energy, real, true life force energy. And when you have energy, it's easier to be in a place of connection with your dreams, vision, mission, and ambition. Right? So essentially, that, that's the more system in a nutshell. And that's how I coach my clients is through that, through that scope. And that's how I live my life is based upon that. Man, that is beautiful. I, I, there's so much to unpack there. Um, and oh, that just, it sounds like such a well-rounded philosophy and program. And I can't imagine the types of results um, and experiences that people come away with. Um, and so I wanted to backtrack real quick. You said that you were, you kind of stepped into this path of awareness of yourself and, and healing back when you were eight years old? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a very foreign concept to a lot of people uh, from doing that to a young age, at least a lot of people I think, you know, in, in Western uh, society. Um, I myself is one of those people included. And so what was that like as you know what you can remember about kind of um your awareness coming online uh at such a young age and and going to therapy to kind of uh start that off and initiate you into into that path yeah no that's a that's a great question brother um you know i i, I myself <clears throat> 
can't take too much credit for that initiation. I really, I really give all credit to my mother because um, she, she did a lot of work on herself from a young age due to a lot of her own hardships and uh, lucky blessings enough to have the awareness of knowing that there were options and tools and things out there that could help her. And so she took a lot of the things that she got out of her own young life and presented them to me as an option. Um, and so the reason why I went into therapy at the age of eight um, was uh, multiple fold, but the big driver was is my parents got divorced when I was eight. And uh, it was a really traumatic thing for me. Um, it was also because my father was very um, intense, um, uh, broken individual. And so there was a lot of sadness and a lot of uh, trauma that got transmuted to me through his way of being. And so my mom presented me with the idea of, you know, there's essentially there's a woman that's down the street and I think that you'd really like to you know chat with her she'd love to see you she's uh she's got you know she presented it in the most beautiful way it wasn't because I, I didn't know what therapy was at, at uh, eight years old you know she just you know made it in a way it's like oh here's an older friend that would love to talk with you and she's got this this i think she had one or two little dachshunds and she loved you know she just it just the way that it was provided was like oh a new friend you know and what what young kid doesn't you know want a new friend especially one that's so close right around the corner and so um, so yeah, so I stepped into working with this woman named Linda, uh, at, you know, at this, at this young age of eight. And it was really interesting. She had such a gift, a healing gift of presenting the container and the space for me to really be open and vulnerable. And so at a really young age, I started talking about my feelings and like the sadness and the heartache. Uh, around my father and, and and the divorce and you know some of the other things that came up you know, at that time, and so I you know was able to be given the gift of being having space held for me to open up vulnerably and share emotion, and I think that really was the catalyst um, for me to step into the person that I am today. And so, of course, I could have said no, you know, my mom could have provided me with this, this possibility and I could have been not engaged in that, that possibility at all. Um, but my mom, I always, always still to this day, have a very deep connection with my mom. She's always stared me in the right direction. Um, and that was probably the catalyst that really, really made that clear for me. And so I got so much out of that that time with Linda, I think I saw her until I was like 10 and a half or 11. Um, and yeah, it was just a really beautiful relationship and I got a lot of healing out of it. And I think that that also was an, uh, a motivator uh, for me unconsciously to step into helping others. So. Oh, that's so cool. And props to your mom for, you know, one, starting that by working on herself uh, and, you know, working through her, her wounds and, and her hardships, as you said, and, and knowing that there are, you know, tools out there to, for kids at that young of an age to have access to. And it just really shows the power of healing and working through uh, trauma, whether that's, you know, most of us, I think, have 
generational trauma that are, are, is passed down through our, our genetics and through our family systems. And that just really goes to show that when you become aware of these things yourself and then get to an age of starting a family, that is how the the consciousness is is really passed down and passed through. And that, you know, is what I believe uh, how we are what we are moving towards as a society and how many people are facing and and realizing how much uh, trauma and and conditioning is has been passed down throughout different family familial uh, generations and we're kind of stepping into this wave of of really looking at that and and healing that and so I think that's that's an amazing example and uh, to where you just ended that's actually what I was going to ask next so like when you came out of that, you had the idea that you wanted to do something around that in in life and eventually help uh, other people. And so, one did that in a sense become the the vision um, and a dream that you were then pursuing. And when you came out of therapy, did you start uh, embodying? other habits and other tools of you know meditation or uh, any sort of body movement or journaling or any of those uh, types of practices mm. yeah man that's a great question um, so I would I think that at at the age of like between eight and ten and a half um, the big thing that was a catalyst for me into stepping deeper into uh, the the space that I'm in now is just the noticing and the awareness of the lightness that I felt after coming out of a session with her, um, which is a really interesting thing as a as a child because generally, you know, I mean, I it, it, you know, I express all of this also to say that I was even though I experienced you know, quite a bit of hardship in my younger years, I also had, you know, a, a beautiful, you know, I, there was a lot of play, there was a lot of fun, there was amazing relationships, there was so much beauty to my childhood as well. Um, and also, I think the big thing that I got from that experience was a few things. First, first thing was that sense of feeling heard and seen and understood, which is so deeply, deeply important for human beings. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be heard. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be supported. There's no one that doesn't. It's just, there's just the nature of the essence of humankind. Um, so that was one thing. And then the other thing that didn't dawn on me until later was just the gift of holding space. That was another really interesting thing that really like now, like reflecting back all the way back to then, like Linda held such space for me, you know, and like back then there was not, we, there wasn't that language, you know, that language kind of has like come about in, you know, the, you know, kind of ceremonial plant medicine, spiritual community of holding space, but holding space can be just sitting and listening to someone and not even asking them questions, just being like, Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I understand that. I see you. I see you for sure. Tell them, tell me more, you know, like that's hold. It doesn't take much to hold space, just being deeply connected and present with someone sharing their heart. Um, so those are the big things, but the only real tangible practice, Ryan, after stepping out of, of that, uh, therapy from eight to 10 and a half 
was just even further nourishing my love for for movement and sports. Um, so I grew up in Chicago, which doesn't have a direct correlation with loving basketball, but it does because I grew up in the '90s with in the Jordan era, and so uh, I was f- obsessed with with the Bulls in basketball from like the age of like four up until this day. Um, so I felt really even deeper into um, just playing the sport and like really getting deep into it in a way that I didn't prior to it. Cause I was like, God, I really want to like, I really want to be seen. I want to get better. I want to like grow and like become a better, you know, uh, dribbler, better jump shot, you know, better shooter, better defender. Like I just was like, wow, I like can express myself, not just through my words and my vulnerability, but also with my expression of movement. Um, which ended up being the catalyst that led me to dancing later on. But um, uh, yeah, so that was the big thing that I got. I didn't start meditating until like, to be honest with you, probably like six years ago. Okay. Uh, it wasn't something that I, I picked up at a young age um, uh, or, or journaling really until the last three years. Um, so the big practice for me that came from therapy was just falling deeper into my enjoyment of movement and sports. So cool, so so cool. And I was I was an athlete uh, growing up as well. And you know, touching on kind of the things that I went through as a child, I went through hardships as well. I've talked a a little bit about this before on the podcast and my Instagram. And I'm going to start going into more details. But I had a uh, a sexual trauma when I was like three, four years old, and then uh, my father passed away when I was right around turning ten years old. Um, and you know, there were things that were going on within himself. He was uh, an alcoholic, uh, very stressed out, anxious a lot of the time. Smoked cigarettes, didn't really take care of his health, and it was a very sudden. Um, passing and so that was very difficult for me to process when I was a child and um, I didn't my mom talked to me about therapy and and different things like that and I remember going to some therapy at the school that I was in um, and just kind of like talking with a counselor but I didn't really go too deep uh, or get too committed into that practice I I think my mind was very very good at kind of uh, really creating that that you know black box and putting things into the unconscious uh pretty quickly um and then because i was so into sports and and soccer and i played basketball too but soccer was my main thing um and actually something that i realized recently was that how much i was basing my experience of playing soccer on the outcome and the results and how much I was basing um, a sense of my worth on how on my performance essentially and what the identity of being a soccer player meant for me and how I felt about myself and um, so it's interesting to hear you speak about basketball and movement and being so um, really in love with with the process and the experience of it um, as well compared to, you know, what I kind of, of went through, um, which, you know, wasn't wrong for me to me for me to go through and I worked through it and healed. But I've just never really heard um, it explained like that from, you know, a younger perspective of like really just 
falling in love with with the process um and and you can tell because now your practice uh and and business is based around uh the process specifically right um and so what kind of dance did you get into eventually yeah so uh i got into um hip-hop dance uh but specifically funk styles so like popping uh you know footwork breaking housing um you know, tutting you know all, all the like old school you know um styles prior prior to like new school hip-hop or like the things that you see like as backup dancers do in the in music videos and such it was like all the foundational styles so you've got break dancing you've got popping you've got locking you've got tutting you've got waving uh you've got animation you've got like so many different styles under the overarching uh umbrella of uh funk styles um so yeah so i yeah it was was deep deeply deeply ingrained in that whole world uh for for quite a while yeah that's that's great i also found that uh similar interest when i was younger too i was very into uh the first uh music that i really kind of got like engulfed in was you know the it was the boy band era and so it was it was like backstreet boys and in sync and my first concert was like britney spears and in sync and i remember uh i used to watch you know the background dancers for britney spears uh and and then in sync and the and the choreographed dances and i loved it i was so into it and i was in like a hip-hop group for a little while but yeah. for some reason i drifted away from it pretty quickly um, um, and just recently, literally within the last um, three weeks, uh, the major thing being the ecstatic dance that we did in Sedona has rekindled my relationship with dancing and with mm-hmm. with movement in that aspect. And I've I've done it a few times since we got back from Arizona, and it is definitely going to be a continuous um, continuous practice in my life because I can feel the difference immediately when I just let myself be free and move how my body wants to move in that moment. Mm. Mm. That's, that, that's, that's amazing, brother. And that, once again, that comes dance for the common everyday person is about the process. It's not about looking good. It's actually, I think sometimes one of the the unfortunate element or can be an unfortunate element uh, for those that are dancers is it's so much about satisfying potentially the viewer, you know, or performing or doing something for the recognition of others. I mean, I found myself at moments having that with dance. Like it was like, uh, you, you love that recognition when someone would come up to you and be like, yo man, like you're amazing. Like your connection with your body and your musicality, like, is just is so dope you know like you you, know, you you love that but it's like at the end of the day the more powerful experience in relation to dance was about the emotion that was released i mean i you know i it's one of the reasons why i didn't continue to dance professionally because i was like i want this to be my own little ceremony I, like i don't i want this to be about the love of it and about the you know the expression of emotions and not about the 
you know, booking jobs and making it as a principal dancer, like getting to this music video or that tour, or this, that, and the other. Because I saw a lot of my friends that were really dope dancers in Chicago that moved to LA to make it. A lot of them don't even dance at all anymore because they became so disheartened with the, the politics of the industry that they lost their love, like to the point where they don't even dance. And I'm just like, what? Like, that's crazy. I'm like, I'm glad that I gave up the attachment of the outcome of being a dancer. Now I just dance. I'm not a, I'm not a dancer. I dance. It's something that I do. It's part of my, my essence. Yeah, and I think that really applies to all creativity and all art and how what you were talking about, that attention received from the outcome or uh, in a sense getting validated from the external, from other people, you know, whether it be dancing or music or painting or writing or um anything like that receiving that validation on the other side becomes a trap for people and it it diminishes the authenticity of creativity a lot of time because and i was just talking with someone last night about musicians and how a lot of artists will hit recognition and fame and they continue to make what sounds like the same thing over and over and over again. And a lot of people end up kind of hitting this plateau or even kind of going back on the the downfall in a way. And I think that a lot of people get trapped in needing that validation and in the fear of stepping into the unknown around full creative expression and full authentic expression and the fear of that not being received or validated on the other side and as to what you were saying a lot of it is focused on the outcome uh, and the result that people wish to receive or that they're trying to control and I think that that's a major killer of creativity and authentic expression and I fully believe that when we put everything we have into the process and we show up as our highest self and that doesn't mean, you know, in a woohoo constant state of of joy and and gratitude all the time because, you know, sometimes that's a little difficult depending on what we're going through in life, but letting that emotion express itself and pour out into the process and having faith that the outcome will work itself out however it's supposed to that is really the essence of of creativity and expression um from my point of view absolutely no doubt man no doubt about that (laughs) and so how do you feel like that relates to life to pursuing dreams to pursuing a vision and you know we're in a very uh goal setting uh society and mentality which there's nothing wrong with goal setting but for myself when i would set goals i would do that and i would get so focused on the outcome and achieving that goal that i would almost cheat myself in the process and i would be worried and anxious and stressed out throughout the whole process trying to make sure that things play out exactly as i expect them to and Mm. it's almost like i i I would cheat myself out of 
the possibilities of what could actually unfold and, and come to me because I had such a, a tight grip on, on needing to control the outcome? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, the way that I really get people to clean that up is all starting first in language. <clears throat> and so I don't have any of my clients set goals at all. What I have them do is get really crystal clear on their dream. What is their dream? What is their vision for their life look like? Not just from a health standpoint, but just like an overall, you know, it's like within your dream of your life, does it look like you have uh, you know, a, a big, beautiful home, you know, in the mountains in Colorado, uh, you know, does it look like, you know, you have two children? Uh, does it look like you travel to one beautiful Caribbean desti destination every uh, year for a month and a half, you know, like, so it's really about like, what does the lifestyle look like? What is the thing that like, makes like your body like tingle with excitement what gives you that very childlike awe and wonderment and, and uh, sense of adventure like that's the thing that you want to use as the framework to build your behaviors and habits into right because a lot of goals are very like data again it's like very like data self-quantification statistic oriented and that's a lot about like what the health industry is about i mean i've you know talked to kyle kingsbury quite a bit about it where i'm just like it's like, like, how much is it like, what, what's enough self-quantification? Like, how much do you need? Like, how many devices do you need? How many things do you need to tell you whether you're doing well or not? It's like, what about returning back to yourself and feeling it, you know, come back to your feelings and emotions. And it's not that you want to become attached to them, right? Because that also can be a slippery slope. But uh, I just tell people, like, get really clear, like, what is like, what, what is the dream? Like, as big as possible. Like, when you used to dream as a child, right, but now with the reframing of a little bit of having an understanding of where you're at now, what does the dream look like, you know? Like, what kind of relationships do you want to have? Like, who are the kind of people that you want to, you know, rub shoulders and elbows with? What are the qualities in an individual that you admire, and how do you embody those? Like, those are the things that I really encourage people to look at. So it's like you have this big overarching dream and vision and ambition. So what does your life look like? And then what are the behaviors and habits that you step into in your day to day, week to week, month to month, or the micro to live into that macro. Um, so that's like a really uh, important thing because when you are instilling behaviors, habits, and actions that support your dream, you, you enjoy the process, right? It's like, oh my God, like I'm like enjoying doing this thing like meditating or eating well or communicating a challenging thing that's coming up for me within a certain relationship. Like, cause now I can get clear on this communication with this person and I can always say that like I did my best and I showed up in a way that was in uh, deep integrity with the way in which I wanna show up as being. And people stand behind that. They get behind that, you know, and there's no like, you know, like beating themselves up because they didn't, you know, eat the perfect amount of like macros, you know, or they didn't beat themselves. They don't beat themselves up because they didn't lift a certain amount of weight or they didn't burn enough calories. It's like, it's, it's, it's not, a, it's never about that. It never was about that. You know, we've made it about that, right. To sell you something, you know, or for companies to sell you a thing, you know, and it's like, this is for me, all my coaching, it's like about a lifestyle. It's about living the present in the presence and enjoying, enjoying the magic and the mystery of all of it. 
So, so that's really how I do it is I reframe it uh, into less about goals and more about dreams and visions. That's yeah, that's so that's, that's exactly how I feel about it too. And I think that is such a healthy mindset to adopt and to what you were saying around being so focused on, on the data and reaching certain outcomes and, and macros and, and calories and specific, uh, amounts of weight and different things like that. It's almost like that can create a subconscious and unconscious, uh, stress and you're not, you're, you're perpetuating and putting yourself in an unhealthier state because you are so focused on reaching these certain these certain lines and these certain numbers um and it's it's almost like contradictory mm-hmm. absolutely well and it also too is that it sets you onto this path of rigidity right and it's like you have to think about what areas in your life do you find you hold rigidity uh, because rigidity, when you think about the idea of rigidity, you think about something that breaks easily, right? Because you're so like, you have such a grip on it. It's so, it's so like, a, like a chokehold. And oftentimes the, the smallest little inkling of, of a crack in that it breaks, but it's like the whole idea is that if you can be within different areas and realms of your life something like bamboo where you sway and you move right and you're fluid and you're light right and you're and you're easy that that is wow man life just you just experience life so much differently you can you can ebb and flow with whatever comes at you you know you're not you're not you 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 sway but you're not uh you're not broken by you know, the challenges and the hardships that, uh, that get presented to you. So, so it's a big thing that I like to, to offer as an invitation for people to look at is the areas where they're rigid. Um, cause that's often the areas where they find that they have the most stress. And that's kind of where the dance begins, right? Where the dance with and the flow and the, and the ebbs and flows and you find the rhythm and the rhythm is always changing it's it's different in each moment and you can you can intuitively feel into that and 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 swing with it and 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 go with the flow uh rather than you know a continuous rigid system so i love that i love how you just uh explain that um were you gonna say something no 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 it was just uh yeah, it's um, I, again too. The only the, when I express anything, it's only because I'm a student of that approach. You know, it's never like I I always am. I, I back up everything that I say with how I live, and um, and yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not an easy thing at times. There are times when you know going with the flow is challenging, but it but it ends up always supporting me in the long run. Um, so yeah i think that's the biggest uh idea to adopt on this path forward you know as we're all kind of stepping into more uh self-awareness is the difference between um embodiment and just understanding information on an intellectual level because you could read all of the books in the world and be able to regurgitate information but if you're not embodying that 
then you're kind of missing the point a little bit, you know? And it's like the teachers, the people who I want to learn from, who I, who I really, um, respect and, and, and yeah, just would, would go out of my way to, to place attention and to, to hear everything that they're talking about are the ones that have that embodiment in their lifestyle. And I think we really see that, you know, uh, my mind right now goes to the medical system and how a lot of doctors are under so much stress. They're under, uh, crazy sleep schedules. They're, you know, a lot of them there and I'm not trying to put doctors in a, in a box or, or label it I, I know that it's it's varied but we see a lot of uh, doctors who aren't necessarily embodied in full holistic health and and taking that health into their lifestyle and they're under so much stress and they're under all of these different things that cause them even if it's not perceived from the outside you know that can cause them uh weakness in their immune systems and in their internal states and so i just i think that embodiment is hands down the most important thing when it comes to living the lifestyle as your your highest self mm-hmm. yeah because i mean if you're not how can you really actually be of service to anyone else i mean you think about you know, a doctor maybe that has a very holistic approach on on healing and, you know, a patient comes in and has a certain issue and he has one of two choices. He can either live in alignment with the things that he practices because he does and gives them an option to do something that might not make him money or serve the hospital or the whole medical model profit driven wise. And they go and they heal themselves and then he's in alignment with himself, but maybe he gets, you know, yelled at by his higher ups. Or he could be someone that is, you know that is not embodied and like is like, oh, yeah, you got this easy, uh, this issue, medication. Here's a prescription. Or you know what? Yep, we got to put you under the knife. Da, 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 right, and that's where profits are made to the you know the medical system in the hospitals. So it's like, could you imagine what a different life that would be for everyone if the person that's providing the service is serving themselves? Yeah, it's huge. And I think we're right on the cusp. You know, I think we're really starting to understand this and, 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 and see how, how important that is. And I'm myself, I am just so excited for the future because we're on the, we're on, we're in this revolution and the revolution is consciousness and self-awareness and embodiment. And I think that's really important for people to see and have faith in right now is that you know we got to break these things down we got to understand them in order to kind of rebuild and and take a new uh way of of embodying them as we move forward um but so going back to the idea of you know pursuing a vision pursuing a dream how does trauma and unhealed trauma um and conditioning per se but mostly trauma because trauma is stored in the body how does that affect your ability to pursue that dream and to hone in on that process um as efficiently as possible yeah man that's a that's a really really good question uh and I, one that i love to answer because i have this kind of 
diagram or the way in which I envision this specific question and how it relates to stress. So the way I like to look at it is that a trauma occurs. It could be a trauma, physically, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And if that trauma is not immediately addressed, which about 99% of the time it's not, it turns into a stress and stress is acute, right? It's a very, you know, so, so let's say for example, you fall, you land on your wrist, there's a trauma. And if that trauma is not quickly addressed, which usually if in this case of a fall, it's not, it's stress. There's a stress on the joint, on the wrist, right? And if that acute stress is not addressed, it turns into chronic pain, right? So that cycle continues to repeat itself over and over, eventually leading to not just a physical uh, degradation of the joint, but potentially a, a, a mental, you know, anxiety, like a mental, like, oh my God, my wrist is always bothering me. Oh, I could never do a push-up position or a chaturanga in yoga. Oh, you know what? Oh, I don't really feel that. I don't feel good enough about myself because I can't do yoga and I'm not strong enough to hold myself up. Then that starts to go, oh, that starts hitting on the emotional level, right? And then it's like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And then there starts to be an even deeper disconnect with something that is beyond yourself. You're not, if you don't feel good about yourself and you really don't have a disconnect, you have a very deep disconnect with yourself, oftentimes you're not going to be able to connect with something beyond you, spirit, source, divinity, great, you know, whatever it is that you want to call it. So again, that's kind of the vicious cycle that continues to play out. So we all experience trauma at a varying degree, like I mentioned earlier. But it's when that trauma initially turns into a stress, we need to interject immediately when we have a stress and work through it in different ways. So for example, let's use that fall and the landing on the wrist, that trauma on the wrist. What I would do immediately after that is to start moving my wrist, right? Even, even if the wrist is broken, I want to get blood flow there. I want to move it around, right? Even if it's like literally this movement right here. I want to articulate my hand around because I want blood. I don't, yes, blood, blood is going to rush there to help repeat, uh, um, heal that injury, but you also want to move as quickly as possible so that that doesn't become right. Stagnant tissue, stagnant energy in that part of the body so that it doesn't become chronic pain, right? And this, that, and the other. That's what happens with people when people have surgery and they don't stick to physical therapy, they end up having a lot of scar tissue, which causes pain, maybe not right at where the, the surgery was, but somewhere up the fascial line in, you know, in the, in the elbow or in the shoulder, or, you know, who knows what. So my point of all this is, is that we have to address trauma as quickly as possible well, I should say stress as quick as possible because trauma doesn't really get addressed quickly. It happens and it, very few people have the intention and uh, awareness to really interject like that before it even turns into a stress. It's kind of almost like, like trauma stress like that. It's like, so it's already happening, um, but it's about stepping into different practices and behaviors to help work through that stress so it doesn't become pain and if it does become pain then we need to again we need to heal that pain um which takes a little even more work to do right but that's why you want to try to interject 
in alleviating that stress before it turns to the pain. Yeah, completely understood. It's really funny that you just used that example for the wrist because you described exactly an experience that I went through uh, when I was younger and when I was very much in my uh, in my partying days, um, I fell on my left wrist. And of course, being uh, naive as I was, I didn't get it checked out for almost a year. And by the time I went to the doctor, I had a cyst in the bone. So there was like a there was a hole in the bone. And they had to do a I had to get surgery, they did a bone graft from my hip to uh, my wrist and put a pin in it. And then, of course, my more uh, more of my naive choices coming out to play. I only went to physical therapy for the first, you know, month or two, and then was kind of like, ah, you know, I don't need this. I don't. I don't need that. And so, um, I wouldn't say that I have chronic pain now. Um, I am definitely limited in some aspects on on the types of angles that I can take when I'm using my wrist um, and different things like that. And so it's funny that you use that because you literally described me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, spot on. Well, because I've been there before. I, I shattered my right hand. I've broken my left wrist twice. I shattered my left ankle. I've had so many, so many injuries, man. So that's the reason why I I've, another reason why I walk the path that I do is because I've been through so many different recoveries from uh, physical pain. Uh, so I totally get it. And that's the reason why I developed working as well as like a really cool movement meditation practice to help people regain range of motion through their joints, right? By smooth, smooth slow articulation. So uh, yeah, man. <laughs> well, I might have to have another conversation with you, take you up on that, um, and see uh, see uh, the possibilities there because I'm definitely uh, interested in that. And so, basically, what you're saying is that can turn into chronic stress, and then that stress just dictates uh, many facets of our life. And so, then with the stress, it prohibits us it kind of creates that that distortion i guess in in vision as we're pursuing a path um of achieving a, a dream and working towards a dream absolutely man hit it right on the head because again if you have a acute stress and it turns into a chronic pain you're always thinking about that you can't even think about your dream because you're always thinking about the agitation you feel in your body you know, like you're just trying to get through it. Um, and so that's why it's so important to really, really dive deep in the healing uh, or the quick mitigation of stress and then the healing of of pain if it's gotten to that point where it becomes chronic. Um, you know, and the thing is, is when we develop chronic pain, we almost become attached to it like it's part of our identity. We're like, oh, it's like, here's me and here's my pain. You know, it's like, it's like it becomes like you're like annoying, like, cousin that like is always hanging out and is like you know just poking at you all the time and you're like you can't even think about like you know going and like you know having fun because they're always right there at your side pissing you off you know so it's like how are you gonna go enjoy your you know date tonight if like you've got like your like younger cousin like you know kicking you in like in the in the back you know every time you step 
So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to live out your dream if you're, if you're agitated, you know, and it doesn't even need to be a physical pain. It like, it could be a, a, you know, an emotional trauma, you know, it's like if, you know, you grew up and your physical body was totally fine, but you had a father that told you that you were a worthless piece of shit. You know, like if you hear that as a child relentlessly, you may never get in an injury or have a physical trauma or anything, but that emotional trauma, like, do you think that you'll ever going to like have enough like self-respect to live into the dreams that might be within you that you're not even aware of? Hell no. Yeah. You know, unravel that shit, you know, and it's not like you have to unravel that. There's a strong likelihood you have to unravel the the lack of self-worth that your father felt for himself because his dad told him that he was worthless and a piece of shit, you know? So like, it's like all these things go, go so, so far back. Like we said, there's transgenerational trauma it's like it's very unlikely that like you had a perfect family lineage and all of a sudden your dad one day was like nah you know what i'm gonna be an asshole boy and like all of a sudden <laughs> treating you like shit like he was probably not treated well or something horrible happened to him in his year you know years so it's like this shit doesn't just start with us it's generations ahead of us yeah True. It ends with us. It can yeah, end with us. Can end with us. That's yeah. that is our. I mean, you talk about a you talk about a vote that's fucking important. That's the fucking vote that's important. Is like ridding yourself. It's your duty to break the ceiling that your generation, that your parents and their parents set above you. That's the most important vote. Ah, oh, so it makes so much sense. It's just like it all feeds into itself and. If you're pursuing a dream based in in uh, one with chronic stress or with what you said around emotional pain of um, a lack of self worth, uh, a lack mentality all around, trying to prove yourself, trying to get attention, validation, you might be tricking yourself into pursuing a a dream that isn't even your dream. It's a dream of the hurt. Uh, inner child that has not been given the right uh, the right attention and the and the right type of love. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I wanted to jump to psychedelics real quick because and plant medicine. Um, I'm a psychedelics guy as well. Um, I use. Uh, psilocybin mushrooms and LSD in uh, ceremonial aspect and I've they've been a major tool in helping me uh, heal trauma and and work through many different things and I'm wondering what your perspective is on psychedelics and plant medicine and how they relate to the body specifically Mm, mm, absolutely man that's a Love that. Love that. Super stoked to talk about that. That that could end up taking us like two hours. Yeah. uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, So the way in which I view the psychedelic experience is kind of this own framework that I've cultivated uh, from, from having, you know, had, you know, quite a lot of experience with them. And what I express is that they the experience that you have can fall on a zero to five scale. So a zero to a 1.5 is what I call a felt experience. So no matter what kind of medicine that you're using, when you do a certain dosage that allows for you to fall into what people might call a microdose, I like to call it a felt experience, is when you start to have a feeling you start to notice well something is slightly different it might be 
um, a noticing of just a lightness, a feeling of just a little bit more ease or wellness. Uh, it might be an experience of a little bit of a sharpening of your vision, right? Oranges might seem more orange. Um, the wind might seem more uh, felt. It might have a more of a touch and a texture on your face and your skin. Um, your uh, gait in your movement, your cadence might feel a little bit more slowed down and a little more attuned. You might be a bit more embodied and attuned or, you know, a, you know, felt movement. Um, so that's the way that I like to break down the first of the three phases of the psychedelic experience. Then what you have is from a 1.5 to a 3.25, you have what I like to call a journey, which is now it starts to transcend out of visual and feel and starts to fall into more of an emotional experience, right? So you start to go, oh, huh. I'm noticing a deeper feeling of like compassion and empathy for myself or compassion and empathy for other, or, oh my God, I just, uh, you know, maybe start to notice uh, a certain feeling or awareness in relation to nature and my visual acuity. I'm like starting to have a, a level of gratitude in such a in such a more profoundly deep way for that tree that's out in front i never really noticed the certain markings you know on the branches that are really really beautiful and that makes me feel more connected you know so that's what i would call like journey you're starting to journey a bit deeper within yourself and then you have your 3.25 to 5 which is what i like to call ceremony that's the like okay like take the seatbelt and fucking buckle up. Like it's time to like go deep. And that's something that I really encourage people to not do alone, right? That's when you're like going to, you know, you're like setting an intention, not, not that you don't set intention. I always set an intention when I go to have a felt experience, no matter what, or a journey, but that's when you're like preparing like a week in advance, two weeks in advance. And preferably you're doing with support, even if it's just someone that is seasoned in that space and they're holding space for you while you go deep, or you have like a really strong container around you by way of like sight, sound, smell, your, your phone to have someone come over quickly if like you're really, really on the edge. Um, but predominantly having a shaman, medicine man, medicine woman, spirit guide, you know, to, to hold it fucking down for you and like to like be there for you, like within like the snap of a finger, if you're like having a, you know, full crisis, because uh, I've been there before and I was so grateful that I had that support. Um, so that, that would be a ceremony. Um, and all of those correlate to differing degrees of movement, right? Cause you're moving in a felt experience. You're more so like moving your body around because you, you know, you have a more of a sense of self, right? So I love to microdose and, and freestyle and like get really creative with my expression. Uh, I love to microdose, you know, uh, before a client session. And so I'm paying more attention to their movement. And I'm like, oh, shit, I noticed that there's a little hitch in your step. We need to correct on mobilizing your hip a little bit more on the left side because I see there's the deficiency and the asymmetry there. And then when we get into a journey, it's more about the movement of, you know, your senses and you're noticing 
wow, I'm having more movement of breathing in and taking in a sense of smell of that rose or that you know lavender, or I'm noticing uh, you know the movement of my eyes connecting and honing in on one thing. And then when you get into ceremony, we're thinking about more of movement of energy, like deep, like spiritual energy or movement of, uh, you know, internal trauma that might come out as, you know, vomiting or defecation or yawning or um, yawning is my, that's like my, that's like my like ultimate purge. Whenever I know that like medicine is kicking in on whatever scale, it's always the yawn. Um, it might be burping. It might be, you know, whatever it might be. So that's more movement. And you're not really moving around as much, especially if like with ayahuasca because, or, uh, you know, that's the one that always like really like puts me like down. Like I'm, you know, I've done, I mean, I, I think even with like Bufo, it was, it was pretty, pretty grounding as well. So I'm just moving energy. I'm not moving my body at all. Um, so, so that's how I would correlate movement in relation to the three realms of what I perceive as the full continuum of a psychedelic experience. Oh, I love that. Love that explanation. I've never heard it defined in those kind of like three sections and three levels before, but it makes so much sense. I've, uh, I've definitely experienced all of them. Um, I have not been fortunate enough yet to do, you know, uh, a full plant medicine ceremony in you know something like ayahuasca yet i'm definitely feeling called to it um even you know i'm now uh uh, uh wachuma and bufo have both come uh into my awareness and so i'm definitely seeing things and seeing options of that but for myself um i you know and i don't recommend this for a lot of people but i've done a lot of them alone and by myself and um it's been very transformative and uh something one of the things that made me bring up that question about how they relate to the body is because i've had experiences uh on psilocybin in a psilocybin ceremony per se i was you know uh laying down i was not moving i was going pretty deep uh, within myself. And like you said, I had, uh, I, I, for the most part, always do intentions. Um, and, um, I can't remember exactly what the intention was when, uh, this happened. It was something around releasing fear and releasing, uh, energy around fear that is, you know, holding me back or, or something like that. But I could literally, it felt the way I described it is that it felt like I was receiving energetic surgery um and for the first portion uh which lasted about maybe 20 25 minutes my face was like so tight and so compressed and like it felt like there was so much pressure and it was like it was moving around and like my even my physical body would kind of like twitch a little bit and then i went into a part where I felt it that happening in my legs and I felt my back um, moving around and, and uh, kind of a surge of energy would would hit a certain spot and my body would twitch and it was so it was the most I've ever felt that uh, during one of the experiences and then within like 45 minutes it all left and everything <laughs> cleared up and my body was much more loose and I felt so light and 
it was just so interesting to experience that. And I've noticed the difference between psilocybin and LSD in that LSD seems like it's more of a, you know, because the way, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the book How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Um, Yeah, and, you know, he talks about how psychedelics are kind of like the valve of consciousness and and the the different ones that you take and experience um, and the higher dosage, it it unlocks the valve and kind of lets that consciousness flood in um, in different ways. And what I've come to notice around LSD is that it seems more of like a... Uh, like subconscious mind unlocker to where it does feel like it's a little bit more focused around your mind specifically but then with psilocybin it's very bodily based and it's very Mm -hmm. based around kind of an unconscious valve and it almost um, that's why I think people can get really uncomfortable on psilocybin because it is doing so much work on the body itself and kind of opening these doorways to let those energies out that have been trapped there for so long. Mm, mm, mm. I love that explanation, man. That's that's killer right there. I, I could not agree with you anymore, especially after having done uh, a nice, nice little dose. I'd say probably a, a higher felt experience of LSD uh, over the weekend. I. Uh, I definitely would say that that's that that's you you nailed that. I yeah, I that was yeah, that's spot on. Spot <laughs> on. Cuz yeah, those are the two things. I I feel like those are the two psychedelics that for those that are very curious about exploring, those are the two that are, you know, most frequently attained and and used, especially in like a microdosing space. I mean, not not everyone well, first off, not everyone knows or has access to, you know, psilocybin and LSD, but obviously, you know, the, the plant medicines like, you know, mescaline and DMT and all that, those are, um, there's something, something uh, a bit more sacred about those. Um, that, I mean, sure, you could get your hands on it and microdose it, but it, uh, I think that uh, there's just a certain depth of uh, intentionality that is important to go into those with, but um yeah, from having used microdosing of both of those, that was the perfect, perfect explanation of how those differentiate from one another. Love that. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you agree. I've been toying around with that theory just from, you know, the experiences that I've had and I've uh, I've talked about it with some people. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, that that resonates with you. And so I think this is really cool to go into right now because literally last night, um, and this episode will come out a little bit later down the road, but for those listening, we recorded this right after the uh, election. So it's the next day after the election right now. And um, Oregon legalized psilocybin and it fully legalized and they legalized the treatment uh, using those practices. And how do you feel like this plays into the everything that we talked about um, and the entire kind of revolution of consciousness moving forward um, as we are seeing it uh, get bigger and bigger and get take on more momentum. Um, and how do you feel like the legalization and openness of these things leads to freedom and, and kind of what that means to you and what your definition of freedom is? Yeah, man, I, I, 
you know, for me, the definition of freedom is really gaining an understanding of one's own sovereignty and, and free will to choose as they will with their life and how they choose to live their life based upon their dreams, visions, you know, ambition and all those things. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very exciting. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said. Uh, you know, it's funny initially when I really got to experience, you know, heavy, heavy doses of psychedelics by way of, you know, doing plant medicine ceremony, doing ayahuasca and, and peyote and washuma and, and bufo. Uh, initially I was like, this experience is so sacred and so deeply beautiful that it's like, I, I, it, I almost felt like I was like, I want it for myself. I was like, like my ego, like popped in was like, I want to be like one of the few that is like, had this experience, you know? So it's like, I can tell the beauty of it. And then it's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, no, you want this for everyone that really wants to heal. And so I think that this legalization now really gives people an opportunity to like step out and say, hey, you know, I've used psychedelics before and I've used mushrooms and they've been deeply valuable. And then other people can say, I've used psychedelics before and it's been a horrible experience, but now I see that with more information coming out there about the intention and set and setting that go into a cl the clinical use, right, of psychedelics, how that could be a major positive. And maybe my adverse experience with psychedelics is, you know, is based off of a, not, a lack of understanding and a lack of the appropriate um, things that need to be put into place to have a really beautiful experience. So then now they go to Oregon and they find a you know psychiatrist or a practitioner that uses uh, mushroom psilocybin as a form and tool uh, with therapy. And all of a sudden they have massive breakthroughs. Um, so I think this is huge. You know, I, you know, yes. Is there some degree of people that will, you know, find ways to get their hands on it even more easily than they did before? Yeah, that, that, that's always going to happen. You know, the bottom line is, is that we need as a species, we need an immense amount of healing. And these tools have been used for a long, long time in many cultures that know much better on how to run society and how to be a peaceful uh, species. So I I'm really looking forward to, to seeing, seeing what comes, um, especially that it's like it's like happening little by little, you know, it's um, uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just exciting. It's uh, it's, it's a good it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to see that the paradigm is shifting um, and people are about to wake the fuck up, you know, like really, truly. Uh, and that's that's a very, very exciting, you know, it's like, like, can you imagine how big those ripples are going to be, you know, when like people that uh, normally would be so adverse to it, but they're like, wow, I know someone else who was totally not privy to the idea of using psychedelics and they went and they went to a clinic and they got clinical therapeutic treatment with it and they had a huge breakthrough now i'm going to start entertaining the idea and maybe i'll read michael pollan's books and then all, so then all of a sudden like these waves start to emanate deeper and deeper out and maybe you look at like you know the family unit and you see like a normally dysfunctional family all of a sudden now 
people, you know, the father starts uh, uh, letting go of his alcohol addiction. The mother starts letting go of her perfectionism and uh, abandonment uh, uh, issues that she had from her mother that she then embedded down into her daughters, you know, and all of a sudden families start healing themselves. And it's like, whoa, like then what's possible? Like then maybe they start making better choices in relation to how they, you know, recycle and compost and how they choose to spend money on organic foods because now they feel better about them. So like, it's like the fucking world is totally open from that point on because they've healed themselves and then their small community and then the bigger community and then, you know, the larger community and then the fucking world, you know, and it's like, that's, that's super exciting. If you can't tell. Oh yeah. I feel it. I just had, I just had chills the whole time you were, uh, you were talking about that and I'm at the same exact spot. Um, and you know, one of the things that Michael Pollan mentions, mentions too, is not only healing, uh, in terms of a, a medicine, um, PTSD, trauma, whatever it could be, which, you know, obviously is a, an extremely important aspect of this, but then almost the next step, which is the betterment of well people, I think is the term that he uses. And, allowing people who have taken on that healing already still have access to things like you know centers set and setting with with guidance and things like that but literally to explore consciousness and what we're going to be able to do with the doorway opening with psychedelics being accepted like this and when we can bring in uh scientific research around all of this i truly believe that this is the doorway opening to the exploration and kind of like the frontiers of understanding the the scope of consciousness Mm, absolutely And I mean, can you imagine if there were treatment centers for like mental health issues or people that would potentially be convicts or, you know, get into trouble if they had like a full integration institute and then, you know, a psychedelic institute where they could support people in all of this to like help them heal and like how much that would make a big effect on, you know, family units. So then there'd be less violence. And then also in relation to, you know, money not needing to go towards, you know, the prisons and and incarceration and, you know, all these other, like, it's crazy. Like the world would totally transform if people would open into this. And like, could you imagine like, if like, you know, you know, uh, psychedelic use was a part of like every, every single human beings like practice. Yeah. Could you imagine if like people implemented that on, you know, a weekly basis, you know, like it was like, it, and it's crazy. Like it just, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's the possibilities are, are, are endless and, uh, I'm so excited to see what, what happens. I'm right there with you. And I think that it's, that's the path we're on. That's where we're heading towards. And, uh, I think we can, uh, end on, on this note, but are you familiar with the stoned ape theory? Yeah. Graham Hancock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've known about it. I just watched a documentary recently around mushrooms in general, but psilocybin was a, a specific topic around it, but, they talk about the stoned ape theory and for those who don't know what it is it's the idea that um as 
uh, we were evolving um, from from monkeys and apes. We found psilocybin mushrooms growing in nature, and over the course of you know hundreds, thousands of years, we ate these mushrooms, and it expanded our consciousness, and that psilocybin could be one of the main factors that allowed the creation of of the human mind and human consciousness um and it's almost like we 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 traveled far away from it and now we're bringing it back in and this this next wave of evolution it's it's happening again and it's just so exciting it's so cool to see yeah it is it is and that's the way in which we should be thinking about life is with excitement. It's like, why not be excited about life? You know, it's like, there's so much to be excited for. And I think that that's a, a, an important thing to leave the uh, listeners with. It's like, I want you all to consider like, what things can you bring into your awareness that bring you excitement? What excites you? What gets your, what gets your hair to stand up? What gets, uh, you know, your mind to start like racing a million miles an hour in terms of, cultivating and creating something and uh you know that's definitely something is like we've kind of gotten stuck in this uh space of uh you know all that's wrong or all that is fucked up in the world and it's like but it's only that way if you perceive it that way start putting your attention on what your dream is what is your what are the things that you're in awe of what are what are the things that when you were a child you used to be so curious about bring that back you know strip away that that jaded attitude that you might have because now you feel like you know the world you don't know shit none <laughs> of us do. none of us do absolutely you know? so uh, yeah. you know be 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 a student of the game of life always absolutely and touch even on that you know people really focusing on the problems and and what's wrong and i think we're our brain naturally kind of goes to the problems because we're problem solvers at heart and the solution to these problems that we see lies in your sovereignty and it lies in the individual sovereignty and individual freedom and full authentic living and opening of the heart because that frequency the embodiment of that vibration affects everything around you and when that frequency is is taking over and affecting our world and and the individuals in it the collective starts to embody that society and we can think of creative solutions we can we can work together on a collaborative effort that isn't uh, a competition of who's right and who's wrong. It's a collaboration of opinions to create uh, a solution and, and evolution and, and, uh, and uh, discussion that is free of judgment and different things like that. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, this conversation has been so much fun, so much fucking fun. So thank you again for for doing this and i'm very excited to to do it again in the future um why don't you let people know where they can find you on the internet on socials and i'll also make sure to link uh to those in the in the show description beautiful yeah man yeah and so first just to say yeah man it was such a treat to be on here this conversation was amazing these are the the dialogues that I love to have, uh, especially in knowing that it's not just going to end here, it's going to be transmuted out 
in uh, out in the interwebs and on social media and uh, you know it's they're, they're the important conversations that need to be had and need to be heard uh, and so hopefully people will be inspired to share this and to start some of their own conversations first off with themselves if they haven't explored some of the things that we've been discussing and then obviously reach out to either you or I uh, to support them in their in their journey and, and uh, on any of the topics that we discussed and uh, again, that's how we create waves. You know, it's like we didn't have this conversation just to have a conversation. We had this conversation to share because uh, at the root of everything we discussed is love, right? I mean, it really truly is the, the foundation of the human experience that we all are striving for is to, is to, is to be loved and to send love out. Um, so, so much love for, uh, for being on here. And uh, as far as where people can uh, find me uh, on Instagram, it's uh, Sevi Mangrum. So it's my full name. So it's at S-E-V-E-M-A-N-G-R-U-M. Uh, and then my website is Evokai Health, which is E-V-O-K-I-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Uh, those are the best places to find me. You can all find out about uh my uh, 90 day holistic health coaching program, which is called pain to power. Um, and then through social media, you can find out more about working my movement based stress relief practice. Uh, yeah. And just tune in and, uh, and connect. Hell yeah, man. Well, so excited for the future again. So excited to see where all of this goes. So yeah. Thanks again, dude. Yeah. Thank you, brother.